children make their way to junior church, and we're going to turn to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12, we're going to start with verse 9 this morning. That's chapter 12, 9 through 11. <laughs> so I probably gave the wrong directions to Evelyn there. I, I, I won't blame her for that. <laughs> okay. Yeah, easy to figure out. Starting with verse 9. Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Give preference to one another in honor. Not lagging behind in diligence. Fervent in spirit. Serving the Lord. I thought I'd start this morning by asking a question. How is your love life? I, I, I first used that question back in, I believe it was 1979. We were in our first pastorate, and uh, the chairman of the board asked if I would like to take a weekend to go up with them to a camp for high school kids. It just happened to be... It was Valentine's Day, and there was a ton of snow up there. The only way into the camp was by snow machine. Well, everything had to be packed in on snow machines and so forth. But I thought, as long as it's Valentine's Day, I got a, a good theme to, to talk on. So I asked, how is your love life? I got a different reaction from them than, than I got from you for some reason this morning. But uh, as I think about that, I think of the great Swiss theologian, Dr. Karl Barth. Barth. He was probably one of the greatest theologians in his generation. He's also a great philosopher as well. And on one occasion, he was traveling through this particular country. He was actually from Swiss. Uh, he was Swiss from Switzerland, but uh, he was traveling through America, speaking at seminaries, Bible colleges along the way. And uh, it, one seminary student approached him as he uh, was allowing questions in the class, and he asked the question, Dr. Barth, what is the greatest truth that ever crossed your mind? Now, all the students had their pencils ready. They were ready to write down this, this important truth that he was going to reveal to them there. And he raised his head and he looked at that student and he very slowly said, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. And as we think about that, Romans declares for us the very fact that Jesus loves us. We see it all through the book. Uh, in the opening part of the book, we, we looked at the fact that the wrath of God was revealed. His wrath actually was founded upon his love. He exercised his wrath because he didn't want us to self-destruct. He, he knew the consequences of sin. And so just like a parent would discipline a child, knowing the consequences if they don't, God had to step in and bring some discipline into mankind. In the second part of the book, we looked at the work of God revealed, and it's summed up for us in, Rome, in chapter 5, verse 8, where it says, God commendeth his love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. His whole work of redemption was based upon the, the love of God for us. In the third section, we saw the wisdom of God, an extension of his love, as he reveals how his love touches not only Israel, 
but it touches the church and has been extended to us as, as well. Now we're looking at the will of God. We started a couple weeks ago in chapter 12, verse 1, where we were encouraged to present our bodies as a living sacrifice. What does that mean? What, what is involved in that? How do we do that in, on a day-by-day basis? Well, I think one of the keys to that is 1 John chapter 4, verse 11, where he said, If God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. And as we think about that, we demonstrate our love to God by how we treat one another. John chapter 13 says, By this shall all men know that you are my disciples. How? By your love one for another. And in 1 John chapter 4, John picks up on that idea and, and he says, verse 19, we love because he first loved us. And then he goes on to say, if someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For the one who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. We, we demonstrate the fact that we love Christ by how we treat one another. That's the measure of our love for him. Now, Paul picks up on that in the opening part of verse 9. He says, let love. And so he's talking about love here. And in a very rapid fire, he gives us 16 commands. We're not going to look at all 16 of them today. We're going to look at eight of them today. That's why I stopped at verse 11. The the sentence continues down through actually the end of verse 16 there. Two weeks from now, we'll we'll finish the message. I was a little bit frustrated about that because I wanted to do the two weeks right in a row. But... um, have the difficult job of having to go to Hawaii this week. So <laughs> uh, we, you'll have to come back two weeks from now to get, get, get the rest of that, that message. You, you know, it's terrible to have to leave the snow and, and, and so forth. But somebody's got to do it. So I guess, get, guess, guess we'll do it this time. But, uh, we, uh, but as I thought about that this week, uh, I thought, you know, when we look at all of eight of these, we may need two weeks to put them together in our thinking and to apply them to our lives. So maybe that, that's a good thing here. So the first one that he gives us here of how we are to love with one another is the opening part of verse 9. He said, let love be without hypocrisy. The word hypocrisy can also be, it can also in the positive sense, say love with sincerity. Love with a sincere heart. Uh, a hypocrite in Paul's day was one who would put on a mask and pretend to be somebody different. Now, that was fine as far as the actors were concerned uh, because that's where the, this word originated from, from the, the, the stage world. Uh, an actor has to put on a part. Sometimes in Paul's day, they would wear a mask to mask their identity. Uh, we, we, we do the same thing today, with, but we use makeup instead of a mask there. Uh, I, I've only been in one play, uh, and it was a fundraiser for the uh, Crisis Pregnancy Center down in, in Lewiston, Idaho. Uh, actually, it was up at, was it Rubens? Up by Craigmont, anyhow, Idaho. Uh, it, it was a, a lot of work to get ready for that, that play, a lot of practices. For some reason, they, they cast me as the villain of the, <laughs> of the program. So I, I was out of character. I, I'm sorry, but uh, I'm not the villain. But uh, I, I had to put on the mask and, and play the, the part there. Uh, do we wear a mask? Do we we put on a front, or do we truly love one uh, another? There, I, I like in, in the movie My Fair Lady. Uh, 
Eliza Doolittle is getting frustrated with her, her lot in life as she's been under the, the tutorage of, of the professor and so forth. And on one occasion, she leaves the house, and uh, Freddie, her, has uh, a crush on her there, and he's professing his love to her. And do you remember the song that she sings? It's Show Me. Yeah, uh, she said, I'm sick and tired of words. That's all she's been having for, for a, the time that she spent there as, as the professor is trying to make her into a, a lady and so forth. Uh, but it's her one desire is that you show me. Put your love into action. Words are fine and, and they're necessary, but sometimes we need to show that love. How do we demonstrate an insincere love? I think we do it several ways. Sometimes, if we're not careful, we give love to get. I'll do it if you do this for me. Uh, that is the wrong kind of love. Christ did not do that on the cross. He didn't go to the cross and say, well, if, if you pay me back or, or you do this for me, I'll die for you. No, he loved us. He went to the cross and he gave his life for us there. Uh, we don't love to need our needs. We don't love to gain control of somebody. We love simply because Christ loved us and we are to love one another. Uh, an insincere love is also a love that draws attention to oneself. Remember the Pharisees in the New Testament? They used to, when they gave their alms and their gifts, used to blow a trumpet so everybody could see how good they were and, and, and look at me, look at how great I am. Uh, Jesus didn't do that. Matter of fact, he said, don't even let your right hand know what your left hand is doing. You, you don't have to, if you're truly loving somebody, you don't have to parade that so that everybody sees it and understands it. I, I, I think of that in um, connection with memorial gifts. Uh, they can be a real weight to a church. Back in our church, back in Ecolacus, somebody years ago gave an old pump organ to the church. It didn't work anymore. But it had somebody's name on there and a, a, a memorial tag on it. And uh, it was stored in the classroom behind the pulpit, uh, or where the pulpit was. And uh, we needed classroom space, and this big old thing was in the way. But nobody could quite see a way to get rid of it because so-and-so had gave it to the church, and it had their name on it. I eventually got rid of that. It, I'm not going to go into that story today. But... Uh, uh, we, we can complicate things by giving to draw attention to ourselves. I, I like, uh, if you notice, we have a card rack back there, has memorial cards in it. I, I like the way the Gideons do it. You, you can take that card and you can mail it to the person that, that, that you're honoring there and nobody else knows about it. I, I think that's the way God intended it to be. And I, I think we need to commend our Gideons for, for the way in which they, they, they go about that. We, we don't give love to draw attention to ourselves. And, and then the third area of hypocrisy is professing love without following through. It may be professing to help somebody. I, I remember when we first went to the mission field, we were raising our support. We had a couple individuals that, that pledged to support us. And we got to the field, and the first month the support was there, and the second month, and then it stopped. And we wondered, well, what had happened? Where, where did it go? And, and a couple of years later, I talked with one of those individuals, and he said, oh, he said, our 
we look at our job as getting missionaries to the field. So we'll pledge support so they can go to the field, and then when they're there, the Lord can take care of them. Uh, thanks a lot. <laughs> That's really love there. Uh, but, you know, I wonder, do we sometimes realize that love demands a sacrifice? Are we willing to make that sacrifice? I, I think of how many times does somebody come along and say, I need prayer. This is going on in my life, and, and would, would you pray for me? And, and what's the first thing we say? Oh, sure, we'll, we'll pray for you. How many times have you said that and then gone away and forgotten all about it and never upheld them in prayer? That's kind of a little bit of hypocritical love there. If, if, if you've said you're going to do it and you don't do it, follow through, then, then uh, it's not truly love. Kind of reminds me of undying love there. Uh, the young man was asked by his fiancée, do you love me? And, of course, he professed to love her. And do you really love me? And she kept pressing it on and on. Finally, she said, do you love me enough to die for me? And he said, no. He said, mine is an undying love. <laughs> but what, what are we willing to sacrifice for one another? What are we willing to sacrifice to demonstrate the fact that we belong to Jesus Christ and, and that we truly love him? The, the second command he gives us here is if we truly love one another, we will abhor evil. The word abhor means to have an intense dislike for. And I think as we think about that, we need to realize God hates sin, but he loves the sinner. And we need to separate the two in our minds as well. We are called to love the sinner. A matter of fact, in James, uh, Jude chapter 23, he says, Save others, snatching them out of the fire. On some have mercy with fear, hating even the garments polluted by the flesh. There is that abhorrence of evil there, but there is that love for the individual. We, we need to separate the two in, in our minds. The word abhor means to have an intense dislike for. Uh, one of the things that I have an intense dislike for is mayonnaise. <laughs> I know most of you won't agree with me on that. Mayonnaise or salad dressing, I wouldn't care if we never had it in our house. Uh, 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 you can ruin a meal by putting it on the table. <laughs> it's that bad. Uh, and I have my reasons for that. But uh, uh, it's just, just to, my wife knows that if she makes a sandwich for me, she will not put mayonnaise on it. She, she, she knows by now much, much better than that. I, I detest this stuff. And that's what he says. I want you to detest that which is evil. Now, why does he ask us to detest evil? Because he knows where it leads. He knows the end results. He knows what it will do in a heart and life. He knows that it ultimately brings heartache and ultimately brings death if a person continues to follow a course of, of evil there. I thought of that a couple of weeks ago. I saw an article on the Internet on, on the news there about uh, the drug problem in Oregon. And it, it was uh, a, a pro-marijuana situation, and they reported that in the previous year, 70 young people had been admitted to poison control centers because they had OD'd on, on uh, marijuana and had, had developed a, a reaction to it. And the, the writer went on to say, you know, this really isn't that bad. When you stop and think of the number of young people that are using marijuana, 70 people, that, that, that's nothing. And I thought, 
that's 70 lives. What? Uh, and they went on to say, it, it's not that bad because not a single one of them died from it. But I wonder, what are the long-term consequences that those kids are going to face down through the years as that continues to, to have an effect on their mind and, and, and their life and, and so forth there? Uh, we, we need to detest that which destroys. Uh, do we detest evil or are we entertained by it? Do we focus on it in our movies, on the things that we read, or do we realize if it's wrong, it's wrong? And it's not for our entertainment there. Do we delight in something that we know is wrong, like gossip? You know, we have that phrase, sticks and stones will break my bones, names will never hurt me. Nothing could be farther from the truth than that, that statement. Do we abhor it enough that we turn away from it? Psalm 141 verse 3 says, the psalmist wisely prays, Lord, set a watch over my lips. Keep the door of my mouth there. We, we, we need to abhor evil. Don't, don't let it come out of our mouths, uh, but turn away from it. The, the positive side of that, number three, is we are to cling to that which is good. The word cling can, in some of your translations will be cleave there. That's a word that's changed its meaning over the years. Yeah, you ever notice how English language does that? In Genesis chapter 2, it, it says a man leaves his father and mothers and shall cleave unto his wife there. Now, when we think of cleave today, we think of a meat cleaver. Now, that separates things. But it, 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 the, the word cling captures better the thought of what he had has here. It means to adhere or, or to, to stick to there. Do we cling to that which is good? In, in Philippians chapter 4 verse 8, he encourages us to think on the things that are good that are holy, that are, that are just, that, that are right, that are pure, and so forth. What, what do we entertain in our, our thought life? Do we dwell on the negative, or do we dwell on the good? Uh, we're called to cling to that which is good. And that goes back to Jesus Christ himself, because remember on one occasion, someone came to him, the, 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 the young ruler came to him and said, Good master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus turned around and said, What do you call me good for? He said, there's not good but God. And what he was implying was, if, if, if you're truly going to call me good, then you've got to recognize that I am God. Do we think about the things that are godly? Do we think about the things that, that would please him? Are, are we dwelling on, on, on those today? And then number four, he said, I want you to be devoted to one another in brotherly love or brotherly kindness here. King James Version puts it brotherly be kindly affectionate to one another. He changes the word from the agape love in, in verse 9 to the, the filio love, brotherly love in, in this verse. And I think he does that for, for a reason. He's just not trying to vary things for us. But uh, I, I think what he's saying in that when he talks about family love is the fact that Christianity begins at home. If we don't love one another at home, we're not going to love those that are out in the world. We, we, we need uh, to practice the love of Christ in our home. And so I think a good question to ask is, how do we treat our partner? How do we treat our kids? How do we treat our parents? What, how do we demonstrate the love of Christ in, in our home? Someone has wisely said the Christian home is one of the greatest evangelistic tools that the church has today. As people look at our homes they should be able to see an example of the love of Christ. Now, that's tough. In, in Ephesians chapter 5, starting verse 22, he, he, he says, Wives, if you're going to be an example of Christ, 
submit yourself to your husbands there. And, and we, men, we like to preach that, don't we? Dwell on that and tell our wives that. But be careful because the very next phrase says, Husbands, do what? Love your wives, even as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. Are we willing to die for our wives? Or is it an undying love? Uh, what, what, what are we willing to sacrifice for the, for the need of our partners? Are we a living demonstration of Christ and his love? Can the world looking at us and how we interrelate as a family, can they see a glimpse of Jesus Christ? We're called to be an example of love, and it begins in the home in which God has placed us. And then number five, he says, I want you to honor one another. The word honor that he uses here means to give preference to one another. One commentator in translating this said, outdo one another in showing honor to each other. Uh, Philippians chapter 2, verse 3, he encourages us not to just look at for our own interests and our own affairs, but to look out for the interests of the other person, to, to consider them in a sense, more important than ourselves. Too often, I think, if we're not careful, we ask the wrong question in a church. You ever ask the question, what's in it for me? Now, that's fine, but uh, what's in it for our brother is a better question. How can we best meet the needs of those that are out there that that need Jesus Christ? What's in it for them? It's not about our desires, and it's not about our preferences. That's being selfish. It's about how can we best meet the need of somebody else? How can we reach out and touch someone else's life? How can we make them feel more important than than ourselves? Selfishness destroys a relationship, and it ruins outreach. We need to learn to honor one another in love. And then number six, he says, not lagging behind in diligence here, or be diligent. Uh, Proverbs speaks much about the slothful individual. Uh, they're a danger to themselves. They're a danger to others. How do we demonstrate diligence? We do it by how we fulfill our responsibilities at home, on the job, in business, or in the church. Uh, we, we take time to prepare for that which is important to us. We invest time and we invest effort in that which is of of importance to us today. Do we do that in loving one another? Do, Do we do that in the church? Or do we simply serve when it's convenient? Are we diligent in the responsibilities that God gave to us? Remember last week, we looked at the gifts of the Spirit. God has gifted us. You are all a gifted individual. Are you using that gift somehow for the glory of God? Are you being diligent in the work that that God has given you to do? That will be a measure of your love. Then number seven, he says, I want you to be fervent in spirit. The word fervent speaks of a boiling point. It happens as we allow the Holy Spirit to take control of our lives. As we allow him to work in our lives, we're being fervent. I'm reminded as I read that of the Laodicean church. You remember the problem in Laodicea? They were lukewarm. They were neither hot nor cold. He said, I'd rather have you cold or I'd rather have you hot, but 
lukewarm water doesn't do much for anybody. Uh, on a hot day, we appreciate a cold drink of water. On a cold day, we appreciate a hot cup of coffee. I, I don't know about you, but I'm not into iced coffee and so forth. That that that's a perversion of coffee, as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> it, uh, I, I know some of you enjoy that, but that, that that's okay. But you know, when that coffee gets just a little bit warm, I'm finished with it, or else I got to put it in the microwave and get it hot again. Uh, because uh, you, you're going to drink coffee, you better have it hot. Uh, and Jesus said, because you're neither hot nor cold, I can't use you. I'm going to have to spit you out of my mouth. I'm going to have to turn to somebody else and use, use somebody else there if, if you continue in that way. And I guess as I think about being fervent in spirit, we need to ask ourselves, is God really a priority in our lives? Is he number one? Do we recognize that we need to worship him? that we need to be obedient to him? Do, do we demonstrate the faithfulness that brings us on a regular basis into service and, and into the work of, of the Lord? Are we being fervent in spirit, or have we allowed a little bit of Laodicea to creep into our hearts, our minds, and our thinking there? We, we, we need to be careful and examine ourselves in, in that area. And then finally, he sums it up, and I think the eighth one sums up what he said in the first seven there. We need... To serve the Lord. In John chapter 14, verse 15, he said, If you love me, keep my commandments. We serve him not because we have to. We, we serve him not because we're going to get in trouble if he doesn't, if we don't serve him. We serve him because we love him. Our measure for one another is our measure of our love for God. It reflects our desire to please him. Our desire to, to glorify him in, in our lives. And, and notice he said, I want you to serve the Lord. Doesn't matter what everybody else is doing. You have to answer to the Lord for your own actions and, and your own life there. You are, as he suggests in verse 2, to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Not conformed to what everybody else is doing, but to be transformed, to, to be different here. To reflect the love of God to the society in which he has placed you. The amazing thing is when we choose to love. In Luke chapter 6 verse 38 he says, Give and it shall be given unto you good measure, pressed down, running over. For with the measure that you meet, that is the measure that's going to be given back to you. It's interesting as we, we look at that particular passage. He was not talking about giving our tithes and offerings in the box in the back. That, that may be a reflection of our love, that, and certainly should be. But he was talking about loving even our enemy there, of showing love. And as we take the time to love as God calls us to love, he said, you're going to be blessed in the process. As you give, you're going to receive a measure of that love as well. That's not why we do it. But we are blessed today to be a blessing. And as we become that blessing to somebody else, somehow God has a way of blessing us in a greater way. And so as we demonstrate that love, we are loved in the process. As I think about what he's saying in this passage, I'm going to give you an assignment this week. 
You've got two weeks to work on this assignment. So uh, I, I want you to go home, and I want you to reread verses 9 through 11. They're very short, very cryptic sayings here, and they're not hard to understand. So take some time within the next two weeks and reread this passage of Scripture. If you forget where it's found, you better change it in your bulletin so you can go back and find it there. It is chapter 12, and it is 9 through 11 here. But as you reread that particular passage there, I want you to ask the Lord to reveal which one of those eight that you need to work on. Which one of those eight are you not really showing your love for the Lord in? And then ask the Lord, how can you be transformed? How can you change that? Because that's part of being a living sacrifice. It's easy to say, I'm going to be a living sacrifice. It's another thing to live that out in our day-by-day life. So what area do you need to work on to to demonstrate to the body of Christ, to demonstrate to the world that you love Jesus Christ, that you belong to him. And then take some time to think through how can I really work on that area? How can I transform that area and become more like Jesus Christ in that? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your love to us. A love that was demonstrated on the cross of Calvary. As we celebrate the Lord's table today, we're reminded you did this because you loved us, not because you had to, not because somebody was forcing you to, but you loved us even while we were yet sinners. You went to the cross and you died for us. And so we want to say thank you for that love today. And then we're convicted in our spirit, Lord, when you say, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. Give us the courage of conviction to ask ourselves, are we being a living sacrifice in how we treat one another and how we show our love to each other? Are we loving you as you would love us? We ask that in Jesus' name. Amen.